1: Before we jump in here, let's establish: uh, Are you an R evil guy? Or are you an a evil guy?
0: It's uh, I'm <laughs> I'm a Revil guy, and above all, right. all above <laughs> all, I am not a sudden nookie guy.
1: That's Rob Pantazopoulos. He's a senior security researcher and malware reverse engineer at SecureWorks. The research we're discussing today is titled "R Evil Development Adds Confidence About Gold Southfield Reemergence."
0: With families like Reval, um, that we determine, uh, rise to the level of that we need to do tracking on them. Uh, we set up typically a number of different tripwires, if you will. Uh, so we will identify samples and if those samples have any different types of uh, variations in them, um, or unique aspects of them. So, if there's a new version value within the binary, if there's a new configuration element, uh, so on and so forth, uh, we will set up notifications uh, so we'll get alerted to when we we find those. Um, we also do uh, open source monitoring, um, and that is actually in this case how we came across the sample. Uh, there was a Twitter post by uh, the director of malware research over at Avast. Um, a, Jacob jacob I'm not quite sure how you pronounce his name, uh, mm. but he had notified uh the good people of, uh, on Twitter that they had identified a new uh reval sample or what they thought to be a reval sample um, and one of the interesting quirks about it was that it wasn't actually encrypting files um so they weren't quite positive uh, it seemed like they weren't quite positive of what uh the sample was, so as soon as we saw that pulled down the sample and now because we've been tracking Reval since uh since it hit the scene, uh, we had all types of research stored up on it, including uh every single version or every single variant that we've come across, we've analyzed, documented. Uh so one of the first things that we did was pulled up one of the most recent analysis of version 2.808 that we had done back in October uh, and did a side-by-side comparison uh of of the old sample in, in this new sample, uh, within IDA Pro. Uh, and we found that basically the decompiled pseudocode was almost exactly the same. There were some new features which we had uh, called out, but ultimately the core of the code, uh, was, was nearly identical. There's other aspects of it as well, such as there's a string format, uh, that it uses. We call, uh, the stats JSON. Um, which contains, uh, things like the reval version information, uh, information that about the, uh, the computer that is, uh, obtained at runtime, information about the encryption session, uh, is placed inside this, this JSON data structure. And that information is actually ultimately sent back to the, uh, was sent back to the, uh, the threat actor. Uh, so that was there as well. So that was really kind of like the, the absolute yes, this is reval.
1: Well, give us a little bit of the background history here. I mean, we're we're talking about two groups. We've got Revil, and then we've got Gold Southfield, and and I guess what we're getting at here is, you know, is that a distinction without a difference? What's the backstory?
0: Sure. So, Gold Southfield is the name of the threat group that runs the ransomware as a service offering, leveraging Revil ransomware. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Revil really is the software used by the Gold Southfield threat group.
1: I see. And so let's dig into some of the specifics here of some of the the changes that you all were tracking in these most recent samples. Can you take us through some of the highlights?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, the sample shared by Jakob actually didn't contain much of interest. But one of the first things that we did once we realized that, yes, this is Revol, um, we – tried to find uh, aspects of that code uh, to try to then perform retro hunts within VirusTotal to uh, maybe find other samples that had not yet been identified. Uh, and sure enough, we had found, we had hit on a sample uh, from March 11th of this year, 2022, that nobody else had reported on. Uh, so we retrieved that sample, we did an analysis of that sample, and that sample actually contained a lot of the new features that you you see in the report that we published uh, and mm-hmm. for some reason that wasn't in the sample that Jakob um had had published i don't exactly know why uh Jakob's sample was actually compiled later on uh that uh sample was compiled on uh, i think it was march or april 12th uh, so this was mm-hmm. roughly a full month before but contained uh, the older sample contained more uh, newer features so so once we saw that, we, we we really kind of put our full focus into analyzing that, that sample. One of the first features uh, that we, we found was that there was an inclusion of a new command line argument, dash T. Now, when we submitted this sample initially to our sandbox, it didn't do anything. Uh, but then once we began analyzing it, we realized that this dash T expected to receive some type of Uh, token value that it then used for decoding uh, strings at runtime. Uh, And these strings were critical to the success of its execution because it decoded strings such as like kernel 32dol and all the different function names that it would be dynamically uh, importing at runtime that were critical to its execution. So if you didn't have the appropriate value, it just wouldn't run at all. The token Used here uh, was implemented within all of the string decode operations. What we wanted to do is, in order to find out what the token was, we loaded the old sample up that didn't have the string decoding logic into IDA Pro, and we compared it to the the new code that was using this string decode logic. And one of the values that this token was being applied to was the key length for the encrypted string. All right? Mm. So in in, in Revel um, in order to the, the strings used by Revel are encrypted uh, using RC4 um, and they're stored they have the key which is then immediately followed by the the actual encrypted string. And the string decrypt function has, you know, the location of the decryption key, the length of the decryption key, the location of the encrypted string and the length of the decryption string. So that's how it knows, all right, here's the start and end of the key. Here's the start and end of the uh, encrypted string. And this is when it goes to decrypt it. That's how it kind of extracts that information out. So in this new sample, the, the, of those four values, the encrypted uh, key or the, the key length was encoded. And then the address of the encrypted string was encoded. So They did that with the intention to make it impossible to figure out what the actual full key and what the actual full encrypted string was. The problem was, is that the, so the way that they do the encoding is that this token value that you pass on the command line has an XOR operation applied to another four byte value. Um, And in this case, the token value was XORed with the hex value 2F9BODCA. Now, fortunately, because the old version didn't have this encoding applied, and they also didn't change any of the code around there, we knew that the string being decrypted at that location had a key length of 12 bytes. So we knew that whatever value was passed in the the token field was XORed with this 2FB90DCA equals the integer 12. So those are kind of like the, now we have kind of the pieces that we need in order to determine what the token value is. So the second bit of information that's important to know is for uh, what what is XOR, right? The XOR is a mathematical bitwise operation. And the interesting bit of information is that anytime you XOR a value with itself, the resulting value is null or, you know, hex zero, zero, so the integer value 12 only takes up a single byte. Uh, however, the code allocates this value within a four-byte memory allocation, which is padded by null bytes. So the first three bytes of this four-byte allocation are nulls. So we can apply that logic to say, when when whatever this token is, XORed with the, the 2F9B0DCA, If the result of that operation, the first three bytes are no bytes, then the first three bytes of that token must be the 2F9B0D. Mm -hmm. So now, instead of having to figure out, like, maybe brute force, you know, all four bytes and trying to find the appropriate value, all we really have to do is brute force that last byte to see what... XORed by you know the hex value CA equals the integer 12, uh, which was a really fast operation that we could do within like a Python script. Uh, and it turns out that the hex value C6 XORed by the hex value CA equals the integer 12. So that means that the the expected token passed to the command line was the hex value 2F9B0DC6 or the integer 798690758. So I know there was a, a long kind of technical explanation, but that was really, for me, that was really interesting that they made a little bit of a, a mistake there in their encoding routine. It was supposed to be this really complicated thing to prevent people from running their malware within sandboxes or performing analysis on it. Um, but it took you know a few minutes of us doing this analysis to determine what the key was, and then we re-ran it through our sandbox. We, we provide the appropriate token value, and then boom, it, it fully executed.
1: Must have been quite gratifying to, you know, when faced with this attempt from them at obfuscation, to be able to to unpack it and figure it out, uh, you know, so quickly.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like that's why a lot of malware um, researchers, security researchers, do what they do because it's it's just a constant puzzle. Um, so this was kind of figuring out one of those puzzles, and then it's kind of on to the next one.
1: Yeah. Well, what are some of the other things that you all noticed here, uh, things that uh, were of interest to you?
0: Sure. So um, the second thing that I found really interesting was the inclusion of a new configuration element, the ACCS configuration element. Now, we had identified a new sample back in October of 2021. This was after the... Uh, they had been, uh, the they takedown, uh, Western law enforcement had performed a takedown uh, of uh, Gold fields infrastructure. Uh, mm. So this sample was identified after that had occurred, which is what kind of gave us, piqued our interest. This new sample, there was, we didn't publish anything publicly about that, but this sample had contained this ACCS configuration element, but it didn't contain any values. It was just kind of an empty array. Uh, but through reverse engineering, we knew that it was. It played a role in the encryption of uh, remote resources, such as like map drives that would try to authenticate to these remote resources using whatever credentials were contained within this ACCS configuration element. But at that time, it was, there was speculation as far as what type of credentials would be contained within there. Um, would it be kind of generic like admin password or you know, admin one, welcome 123 and it would just be like an opportunistic brute force type of credentials? Or would it be more targeted so the malware could operate a lot faster? Uh, targeted credentials that may be obtained through initial um, compromise of their network. You know, they try to, you know, obtain as many username and passwords as they can from that network. And then when they deploy Revol, Revol is already packaged with with um, the credentials that are for that environment. So they can kind of get maximum impact from an encryption standpoint. The sample that we identified, the, the March um, uh, 2022 sample, actually had credentials stored within it, uh, and they were targeted credentials. So that kind of answered that question that we had of what kind of credentials would be stored within there, and it it turns out to be targeted credentials. One, I guess, unfortunate side effect of this is that because they're targeted credentials, now if these uh, samples uh, get released into the wild, it may be easy for other people to figure out that you were compromised uh, and infected with Revo ransomware even though that information may not have been made public.
1: Oh, that's interesting. One of the things that caught my eye, you know, uh, these ransomware groups, uh, I guess, famously have um, restricted their operations, you know, to not, uh, not affect uh, what we presume is their own homeland. Uh, but in the, some of the things you examined here, they had uh, deactivated that, that region check.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely an interesting change. Um, and we're not 100% sure of exactly why that is. Um, we know why they implemented it to begin with, right? They don't want to bring heat upon themselves by basically friendly fire. Right. But why they removed it, um, it w- was a curious move. Um, there was definitely a lot of turmoil, if you will, um, around that time. The, it was initially removed in uh, that October time frame. Uh, and that was roughly when, the, you know, the takedowns had occurred and then, you know, ramping up of with tensions with Russia and, and some of the Ukraine stuff going on. Uh, so there's there's a lot there's a lot that was happening around this time frame, but nothing really stands out as to why they did it.
1: So what are the take homes for you as you look at the the changes that you and your colleagues tracked here? Uh, what do you take away from it?
0: So in the past, when we've seen this kind of activity, um, meaning when we've seen multiple new samples without a new version value, uh, multiple changes between the samples, uh, it was typically indicative of, you know, we could expect a new sample uh, or a new official version to be released, uh, typically within uh, a month to two months is what we've seen. That has yet to play out. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, so what we published our public blog on May 9th in the last actual activity that we've seen from Gold Southfield was on May 6th. So the, the last victim published their leak site was on May 3rd, and the last sample that we have was compiled on May 6th, uh, and six, since then we haven't heard anything. We're, we're not quite sure on what to expect for the next steps, there's, there's many different scenarios that could play out, but certainly we're, we're going to be ever vigilant and you know try to keep on top of this.
1: Our thanks to Rob Pantazopoulos from SecureWorks for joining us. The research is titled RE Development Adds Confidence About Gold Southfield Reemergence. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust.